Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, founder and CEO at .org Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. The low-touch economy is both a complication of the pandemic and a feature of digital business. In this episode, Sharon Rice, Managing Director of Business Strategy at .org Source, and I share the outcomes of research that our company conducted to learn how associations are navigating this new environment. We'll focus on behavioral shifts, opportunities for innovation, and economic scenarios and strategies. Thanks for joining us as we uh, talk about uh, how association industry has been impacted by the low-touch economy. Um, over the last three years, .orgsource has been talking about uh, how industry 4.0 will affect associations that were not ready for the digital world. Uh, we have, while we've known that automation, AI, reskilling of staff were important, most associations we're not building resilient businesses. So with the help of Sharon Rice, who is .org Source's Managing Director of Business Strategy, Kevin Ordonez, uh, President of .org Source, and myself, who wrote the book titled Association 4.0, Positioning for Success in an Era of Disruption. The book foreshadowed the need to make transition to become resilient. What we didn't know was that pandemic would make it happen. So fast forward, um, we've seen that digital infrastructure and adaptive behaviors are central to surviving this crisis. Um, so uh, within days of uh, the industry realizing the potential impact of the uh, pandemic and began to consider meeting cancellations and remote work, .org source um, and our sister company, .org community, was at the forefront of helping executives navigate these new changes. So um, within days of people starting to take consideration of meetings and events, et cetera, um, we held several focus groups and have continued to hold focus groups and have conversations with the association leaders over the past eight weeks. Um, we've talked about what's going to happen in the short term, midterm, and long term in our industry. Um, and so the reality for associations is that behaviors have changed. Um, in the immediate term, we're now living in a low-touch economy um, for, you know, which may go on for some time. And the low-touch economy is a reference to the new state of our society. It's characterized by low-touch interactions, health and safety measures, new human behaviors, and you know, permanent industry shifts. So in our focus groups, we talk to leaders about the impact of social distancing, hygiene precautions, travel restrictions, um, and limited large gatherings that will impact our industry over the next couple of years. So, you know, what we do know is that we're all, that what we're experiencing through this pandemic is that there's gonna be a major impact on meetings and education, governance, membership, strategy and planning, sponsorship, and the association workforce. Um, so with that, you know, while this has kind of been a shock to the system, uh, there's also opportunities 
uh, to use this crisis to accelerate change. So uh, we're just here for Sharon and I to kind of discuss with you, you know, what is that impact? Um, and Sharon, you know, you've navigated the recession with Apex in 2008. And so, and you also have a lot of experience with organizational strategy, education, and scenario planning. So, you know, what are you seeing and what are you learning? Um, and particularly, what do you think associations can take to the bank? I think we need uh, what I'm hearing a lot of, and I feel this actually myself very acutely, just kind of in navigating my life now, is that it, it's hard to anticipate what comes next and what are we to do? And we have all these plans that are being released state by state and country by country that affect associations and their members. Um, and it can make it difficult in these probably still early days of dealing with the pandemic and um, the impending depression to know exactly what to do. But I, I do think there are some things that we can count on. And I'm glad you brought up the um, Association 4.0 book because what I, I do want to stress is that a lot of what we're seeing right now are things that our um, customers ha have anticipated for a number of years. So we've anticipated a transition um, to digital, right? To the digital transformation. We've been talking about that for a long time. We've been talking about having a more flexible workforce right now for a long time. We've been talking about lean governance. We've been talking about lean operations in our associations and really focusing on sustainability and resiliency. So what I would say we can take to the bank is that these things that we've been talking about are absolutely vital to navigating this, this period of time. And not only for the next couple of months or even probably for the next couple of years, but well into the future. So you know, general advice for associations, if they've started a digital transformation, it's time to get really serious about that. If they've been having um, a, a, a meeting and an, an annual conference, for example, and I know there's a lot of conversation in the association industry, um, certainly initially that was, was mm -hmm. the big buzz, right? What are we doing with our conference? Right. But I know that a lot of associations have been seeing declining uh, annual conference attendance over the years. And so, you know, it's time to rethink that annual conference and not try at this point to put the square peg of the traditional in-person annual conference into now a round hole, which is the, the, our pandemic reality. So making transitions there. Um, as we talked about just a second ago, becoming more lean operationally. And I think that this is in particularly, this is particularly important and it is a lesson learned from the 2008 recession and it's really a hard lesson to learn. Um, Right now, we need to focus on what programs are most resilient. We need to sunset programs that were already on their way out, but may have been um, uh, had uh, sentimental value uh, to certain leaders that are important to us. Um, that sunsetting and managing our, our product life cycle is critically important right now. Pulling our resources away from programs that are not resilient and pushing them towards programs that are resilient. So I think, you know, what we can take to the bank at this, at this period of time, not being able to predict exactly what um, the next normal is going to look like, what we can take to the bank is that we know it's going to be digital. We know it's going to have to be leaner. We know it's going to have to be more data-driven than ever before. We know that we have to be more agile. And so these are things that many associations have been working on. 
Um, and now is the time to, to really put this on overdrive and get this transformation, um, make this transformation a reality. Yeah, that's, those are all great, great points, uh, Sharon. Um, feel free. Uh, we've got, we've receiving a few questions that are coming in um, and we're going to try to address those over the next uh, 20 minutes. Um, but one that, that just came in, Sharon, was actually a discussion we were having with another CEO this morning. Um, and uh, somebody asked, it says, you have indicated that we will see major impacts and changes to association governance. Um, how do you see governance will change? And what aspects of governance are you referring to? I know for you know, mm -hmm. the calls that we're getting are, um, I think, a re reaction and some panic uh, but these are also from board members, but these are also boards that were not very agile, had a lot of hands on in the operations and is causing some challenges for CEOs. So, um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a couple of different things that are important from a governance perspective, no matter what size association you are. So one is, and we see obviously in our, in our practice, the fact that you can have large associations where the board is too involved in operations as well as small associations where the board is too involved in operations. Because we have to skinny that decision-making um, cycle right now, we have to be able to move quickly and more and more agilely in our decision-making. It's, it's super important right now that we have as lean a structure as we can to make those decisions. Now, I realize it's um, it's not easy to reduce the board size in, you know, three months. But I think that the executives, the CEOs of associations have to be having these conversations with their board, their chair of the board, especially the executive committee, if they have one that says, how do we get ourselves positioned so we can make uh, decisions more quickly? And I think that this has a, a long-term tail for association governance. So I think the trend that we've been seeing um, since the last recession was that board structures were starting to come down, they're becoming smaller. And I think that for associations that haven't made that transformation, um, they need to continue to be able to do that and, and to kind of determine what that right size is. As far as governance outside of board, um, the board of directors, I do think that there is opportunity to change the way that we engage our volunteer leaders. So with, with the pandemic, one of the things that a lot of associations are talking about, we certainly see this in healthcare. Um, my, you know, more of my expertise is on the supply chain side. We're seeing this in supply chain organizations that people are super, super busy, right? Yep. And so our leaders don't have the time to dedicate anymore. But what they can do is they can take ad hoc assignments. So I think we're going to continue what I also think is a trend that associations, instead of having so many committees um, reporting up to the board that will form more task force, will will be able to parcel out more ad hoc experiences for our volunteer leaders, which by the way, will help engage our leaders more. And at the core of that engagement, again, it's going to be digital. So being able to touch as many members as possible and bring them into not decision making, but direction setting and, and input into um, how do we position programs or what programs we need. So, I, you know, to the point that we need to be better engaged with our members, absolutely true. We need to, yes, we sell product and service probably more um, since the recession than we did in the past. But I, I do think that for certain organizations, we can see a resurgence in membership, but it has to be more active. We have to be able to engage members on an ad hoc basis and have them feel like they're contributing. Um, great. So we just received another question. 
um, that is, you know, what is the best way to describe resilient so mm -hmm. we can guide assessment of programs and ensure everyone is understanding the upper, uh, uh, you know, the definition. And, and before you answer that question, for those of you um, that are um, on the, the webinar, if you go to uh, www.orgsource.com on the homepage at the bottom, we actually have a paper that um, was that we had it, uh, presented called Achieving Organizational Transformation Pathways to Success. And it kind of outlines um, how organizations can be resilient and get there. And so it's a pretty lengthy uh, document or paper, but I think Sharon, you could probably address a few of those, um, the high level things. Yeah, so resiliency essentially means that you have programs that as we see uh, the economics up, up and downs as an example, for example, that uh, those programs stay important, they're core to us and to our members and people continue to engage. So in the 2008 recession, certification was extremely resilient. So industries that were hit hard, more on the commerce side and the manufacturing side, certainly supply chain, what we saw is that certification stayed important. Not that we didn't see downturns in revenue, we did on the certification side, but it still held on to um, a pretty high percentage of total revenue in the organization, in the association. It still contributed at a high level. So certification was resilient. Why was it resilient? Well, number one, because of this, you know, the sense that members had that if I get my certification, either I'm more likely to keep my job or I'm more likely to get a new job. So I have skill, a validation, a credential that is gonna serve me as I go out looking for a new job. So certification for me is probably more likely to be resilient now as well. But we have some issues with certification that we didn't have in, in uh, 2008 because we have a much higher unemployment rate. So when you're unemployed, it's super difficult, obviously, to make the decision to spend money on certification programs, which tend, you know, a lot of certifications will be, you know, the testing might be 500 to, let's say, 750, but the education to support that is also has to be factored in. So I'm, I'm not as confident that certification is going to perform as well right now, but I am confident that people need new skills because one of the things that's going to come out of that, at least 30% of the population is going to be impacted, um, I believe, by uh, automation. So if we think about, again, warehouse workers, well, we've had warehouse automation for years and years and years, but warehouse owners haven't engaged at that high level of automation because they, um, they had work, the workforce and they weren't looking to make these massive capital investments in automation. But because of social distancing, because of some of the, um, uh, the threats or the risks related to having a too um, intensive workforce, I think we'll see these investments in capitalization um, to, support, uh, to support automation. And so now those workers need more skills. And what kind of skills do they want? They wanna, they're going to want to take it in as they go. So micro-learning. I think becomes more important than it's ever been before. And a heavy emphasis in that micro learning, not necessarily just on knowledge, but actual skill development. So the good thing about micro learning, if you already have an, a, um, an LMS, if you don't have an LMS in your professional association, that should be on your agenda if you can afford it, obviously. 
and many LMS programs support microlearning. The great thing about microlearning is that it is more manageable to get these nuggets of learning somewhere between five to let's say a half an hour. Some people would say an hour and microlearning is still acceptable. It's easier to get your, your volunteers, your members to develop those. Um, we recommend you give them a template, you give them guidance, maybe a little bit of training, but um, they can start generating those short programs and that'll become super important uh, to the membership base as they try to gain new skills. Yeah, really good points. So I know that a lot of people were contacting me about learning management systems when, um, you know, when they, the, they started switching to uh, virtual meetings. Um, there's a lot of different ranges and systems from things that are very inexpensive that are even non-typical association platforms, but they can get people by until they can actually, if they needed a, a more robust system for the future. So there's, there's definitely a lot of, um, a lot of different, different options. Yeah, and so, voiceover PowerPoint too. I mean, if you don't know at this point how to do voiceover PowerPoint to generate contact, this is something that everybody um, that's in an education position for an association needs to know how to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sharon, how do you feel that associations can kind of go on the offense? I kind of saw when everything started happening, everybody was, to me, kind of going on the defense of, oh my gosh, how do we save the meeting? How mm -hmm. do we replicate that? But moving forward, now that we're have kind of settled into, I don't want to call it the new normal because I hope this isn't really normal. But you know, as we kind of settle in here, what are the things that associations can do to go on the offense more in the short term, and then you know maybe even um, looking down the road in the long term? Yeah. Well, I think the very first thing is that you have to accept that we're going to see changes that are going to last. So um, I, I don't know who, co who coined that term next normal. I did not, mm -hmm. but I, it really resonates with me because we saw a lot of change coming out of the 2008 recession that stuck with us. It also accelerated digital, you recall, um, and more lean operations and more lean governance uh, for those associations that were impacted by it. So I do think that there's a next normal. And, and the good news about that is that we're very adaptable as human beings. So the, what the term conjures up is that we will, we will find a place that feels normal again, but it's not going to be like it was in January 2020. And frankly, it's not going to be like it is right now in, in May of 2020. There will be, you know, a next normal. So I think when you're on the offensive right now, you're paying attention to those trends that we talked about you know, really completing your digital transformation, flexible workforce, which answers a lot of questions about how do we re-engage staff. Um, in, in, I mean, staff are very engaged right now, but re-engage staff in our physical office if we do it all. Um, and looking at our governance structures and education and, and the like. So we've been talking a lot about scenario planning. Scenario planning gives you a sense of control, even when you can't predict the future. You can say, you know, this is likely to happen, this is likely to happen, or this is likely to happen. And in whichever case, whichever, you know, scenario comes to fruition, we know how we're going to respond. And I will say, for those of you that do have a hard time keeping bored out of operations, or, you know, perhaps you're not able to make the decisions you need to make as quickly as you'd like to make them because they have to, you know, kind of go up the chain of command. Um, working with your board to review and approve a scenario plan brings them some comfort, those board members comfort as well. And I think that if you can get them to agree that, yes, you've done a good job with scenario planning, 
um, my, my sense is that they're more likely to let you as a CEO or a staff member run that plan. So you can take, I think, control that way. But more than anything else, I think that accepting that change is happening, it is going to happen, and then really looking reasonably speaking at what that change is going to look like or potentially could look like is, gives you a sense of power. And, and having those conversations with your staff and having those conversations with your leader, it gives you a, a power. You're not living on the edge, but using your word, Sherry, it, it can put you on the offensive. So you're proactively taking action, which right now is, is really the phase that we're in. Um, we were watching and, and kind of saying, how is this going to work? But now is the time that we do need to make decisions. We knew, need to be taking action. Um, so I think, again, scenario planning is really key to that and then accepting the change that there is going to be this next normal and trying to meet that. Yeah. And I really think it's also about just anticipating needs because I don't know that, you know, for most of organizations that we're working with, they, their members don't even know what they need. So the traditional let's ask our members what they need and what they want from us. I think that it's important to also think about and anticipate what we think their needs are going to be and what their behaviors are and how behaviors have changed. You know, we're all going through, the discussion of, okay, can we have, will the government let us have a meeting? And if they will have a, let's ha have a meeting, how will that look? And then, then will people, you know, travel and all those things that we're, everybody I'm sure that's on this, this webinar is all dealing with. Um, and so, you know, to your point also just about, you know, scenario planning, what if, right? Like what if our members do this or what if our members decide to do this or what if, you know, there's some organizations that we know that their members are, still working um, in you know, some of the trades and they need their certifications. Um, but then there's those that aren't and you know, how does that change the organization? So, um, so I think that's you know, really good point to just kind of go through that process. And I know I just, uh, Kevin uh, posted the, the webinar that, that you had done for us a few, well, probably about six weeks ago on scenario planning. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully that will help um, the folks on, on this call today. And I, you know, I, I want to talk a second about a member engagement because um, it, I thought of something today also on the call when we were talking to a CEO this morning that, you know, back in the 90s, we saw the rise of listservs, right? Mm -hmm. So we started to see listservs become very popular. And then we kind of put listservs out, you know, about 2008, 2009, we saw less and less of those listservs because they were hard to manage and people didn't always behave on them. And then we yeah. started leader wars and all sorts of things. They were hard to control. And it, it's not an accident that listers were coming up in the nineties because of the communication technology and everything else that, you know, was starting to roll from a technology perspective into this industry 4.0. We had that, we went through this, this period that was called the death of distance. And what that death of distance really meant is that we could be connected to people even though we weren't physically with them. So now I think the death of, of distance is proving out, right? It, 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 I think that we need to see, not necessarily listservs, but when we talk about member engagement, we have whole, there are professional associations out there, um, some, some are represented here on this call, who every member is out of business right now yep. because they're high touch. They're high touch professions. Every member is out of business. 
Um, and I was thinking, I was reading an article about how important the Facebook communities have become to survivors of COVID because they're huge, first of all. There's a large, large communities on Facebook and they're helping each other with information. Did you experience this? Is this normal? Um, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this, that empathy factor. And, and they're, they're becoming incredibly important. I think that that's a, a perfect way an association can meet a member need, right? And to create that community online where people can check in and talk about what it's like to be unemployed or to be navigating what they're navigating. Because we're talking about, I mean, think about it, entire professions right now out of work. Mm -hmm. And they'll come back. But when they come back, they're going to have questions. And they're going to, you know, want to know what other people are doing. So that would be one of the things that I would do almost immediately is start ginning up those, those communities if you don't have them already. Yeah, and I saw even for those, um, uh, I've talked to a few people about some of the medical associations that are truly on the front line. Some of them did a, a fantastic job of providing a venue for real-time information. So these were cases where the docs were actually in New York learning, and then they were holding um, webinars and actually had them on um, Facebook Live as well. So I participated in them. It was fascinating. Um, so it was interesting for me because I kind of grew up in the medical association space and back 20 years ago, if anybody did that, it would have been just, that would have been a different crisis of, you know, we don't have, um, you know, the data hasn't been verified and all those types of things, but they've created this sense of community that now even people outside of their subspecialty are kind of coming to them and noticing them. So, so they're kind of using it not only as a, an opportunity for current members to get knowledge, um, but also expanding their reach. So it's kind of, it's been very, very interesting to see that. And those were organizations that were able to pivot and were agile and would, are willing to take risk. And I think in a crisis or with kind of chaos, there's people will give you a little bit of slack for taking some risks and, um, and trying things out. I think that's so true. And, you know, back in the recession in 2008, very few people knew what supply chain was, but the yep. 2008 demand-driven uh, recession brought supply chain to the forefront. And so we were able to take advantage of it. We started a, a, a weekly publication from the CEO called Operations Management Now, which has continued in, in supply chain management now. But that it was doing exactly what you're talking about, Help, helping members to understand why they're so important, helping their bosses to understand why they're so important, helping others to understand why they're so important. And I think that that's just really a fundamental thing that uh, professional trade associations really need to do at this time. Yeah, it's great. So um, I think that, you know, with knowledge and experience that, that we're gaining um, because of the virus, I really think that those that associations have an opportunity to kind of get a firmer ground mm -hmm. because we're kind of been accelerated into this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we've had to do some things. If we thought about a learning management system, now we're doing it. If we thought about doing other, having digital platforms, we're having to do it. Um, so I do really think that there's a lot of opportunity to reimagine um, you know, the business of associations um, and kind of, you know, gain some lessons learned here. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll be more resourceful and adaptive in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we've been holding some focus groups and think tanks and have developed a lot of content and white papers. So you can find all those at uh, orgsource.com slash real solutions. Um, and so uh, before I wrap up, is there, I'll take one more question. 
and um, you know we're hitting the almost hitting the hour. So, um, any final thoughts, Sharon? You know, I, I guess that if you listen to some webinars I've been on earlier, <laughs> my colleagues know this in March and April, especially I was, you know, Debbie Downer. I was, it was hitting me kind of right in the face of how significant this, um, what's going on right now is and what a profound change it will have. And then when I sat down and started sorting through it and say, okay, so what do we know? I really started to go, okay, we can do this. Associations can do this. Um, it's not going to be the same answer for every you know, association. My heart really goes out to allied health organizations and medical associations because um, you didn't get practice in 2008, what, like some of different industries did. Um, so for some of this is um, even a bigger shock. But I, I do think we have enough clarity on what on some of the fundamentals of what our association business is going to look like. Um, what's going to have to look like to navigate the pandemic and post-pandemic that I'm starting to be more optimistic. And, and I think that that optimism really comes from, you know, having a sense of purpose and, and a, not feeling helpless, but saying, hey, there's really things we can start doing right now. Yeah, well, somebody just wrote um, to us saying a, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So um, hopefully we are, we are all uh, moving this, uh, the needle forward here. So um, you know, just to kind of wrap up is, you know, digital leaders and uh, in, in, in transformation, you know, .org source has been here to try to provide the skills and tools and behaviors to position your organization for success. So if you have any comments or thoughts on any other content that you'd like us to see uh, provide, um, please let us know. And if you have any questions, you know, please contact me and join the conversation. You can join the conversation by joining orgcommunity.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to Association 4.0. You can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of .org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.